Women on the Line, produced at 3CR, acknowledges the people of the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. We pay respect to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Shahrazad Blul. In the midst of human-caused atrocities by arms manufacturers, we will dedicate this show to airing discussions of resistance in West Papua, Palestine and beyond, to lands being exploited and warred upon for profit. So firstly we'll be speaking with Zelda Grimshaw, who is a defender of earth and human rights, currently living on the unceded lands of the Gadabanud people in Victoria. Zelda works with the Make West Papua Safe campaign and is a co-organiser of the Disrupt Land Forces campaign, which we'll hear about in just a moment. Hi, Zelda. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Good to be here. Um, So firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. I've been working on the Disrupt Land Forces campaign for several months, and I've been working with West Papuans both here and in West Papua for a couple of years. On the 1st to the 3rd of June, um, an arms expo named Land Forces will run in Mianjin. All of the major weapons companies will be there alongside the Australian Defence Force reps um, and defence ministers and trade delegations from over 70 nations. I guess, could you tell us a little bit more about Land Forces because the Disrupt Land Forces campaign is in relation to this? Absolutely. So Land Forces is a major weapons fair. So all of the big weapons companies um, go there and showcase the latest military tech that they've got, the latest kind of killing machinery that they've got, and they try to sell it to governments. So uh, I guess the important things to know about that are that um, this is all public money, so weapons companies sell to governments. They sell to police forces and, and um, militaries. So it's our money that's being given to these weapons companies for weapons which will eventually be used against us, if not us here, us in West Papua or us in Colombia or us in Myanmar, wherever we are. So that's one point. Um, they're taking up public money. The other thing to note, it's in weapons fairs like this that the deals get made that result in war crimes, whether it's in Myanmar or Colombia or Palestine or West Papua. It's the men shaking hands in the weapons fairs and in the corporate boardrooms who are ultimately initiating those war crimes wherever they happen. So I guess we're saying let's stop the war crimes where they start, in the corporate boardrooms, in the weapons fairs, in these safe countries like Australia, This is where the weapons deals get made, this is where the war crimes start, and this is where we can stop them. So the disruption campaign that you're organising, can you tell us a little bit more about that and why you organised it? Sure. Well, we decided to call it Disrupt Land Forces because we felt like we don't have a big enough anti-militarism coalition 
at this stage to stop it, to actually shut it down or get it cancelled. Although the response has been so huge that I think maybe we do, maybe we can get it stopped. Um, But whatever happens, we know we can disrupt it. We know we can get in their way. We know we can make it uncomfortable for them. We can make it difficult for them. We can make it unappealing to do these kinds of deals in Australia and make them not want to go and exhibit next time. We can make it really expensive in terms of the amount of policing and security that they have to put on so that state governments don't want to foot the bill for it anymore. And all of these um, things I just mentioned have succeeded in shutting down weapons fairs in the past. So it's been the cost of policing that has seen weapons events um, like this shut down in Australia in the past and the reputational damage to companies who decide to sell to the military. Part of the uh, Disrupt campaign has also been um, you've organised a few other events in you know, conjunction with disrupting the convention from the 1st to the 3rd. So can you talk a bit about the other events as well? So from starting from um, February this year, we've been going to weapons companies who we know are exhibiting at Land Forces and some of the sponsors of Land Forces. And uh, the Disrupt Land Forces organisers have focused on five weapons companies and we chose those ones because... They are all selling to Indonesia, so those weapons are being used against people in West Papua, and they're expanding their presence in Australia. So they're taking large amounts of our money. And those five companies are Boeing, because they're the second biggest arms contractor in the world. They're huge, and they are the single biggest contractor to the Australian government. So way out ahead of all other government contracts is Boeing, and almost all of that's for defence. Boeing Helicopters have been strafing West Papuan villages over the last month. It's very recent. Within Boeing helicopters, you can find Elbert um, helmets and um, guided missile tech. So Elbert's an Israeli company and Elbert just signed an agreement with the Victorian government to build a research centre in Port Melbourne. And that research centre is to develop weapons which will go on the market uh, so Boeing are in West Papua, Elbert are in West Papua, Elbert are also, of course, the major supplier to the Israeli Defence Forces and um, their missiles can be found all over Palestine, spyware, Elbert are really big on surveillance tech um, and Elbert has been supplying the Myanmar military as well. So anyway, they're our first two, Elbert and Boeing and the other ones we've been focusing on are EOS uh, who sell directly to the Indonesian Army, electro-optic systems. They sell tank turrets that fire a 1,000 rounds a minute. Um, I think they got $900 million from our government uh, last year or the year before. And Thales, which is a French company, but Thales Australia has got some really big contracts. They build um, armoured vehicles up in Bendigo, and those armoured vehicles are sold to the Indonesian Special Forces Kopassus who are notorious for human rights abuses all over the archipelago. And the last company on the list is Rheinmetall. So Rheinmetall sell tanks to Indonesia and Rheinmetall have a huge contract with the Queensland government. They're building a huge new facility up in Queensland. They're also one of the sponsors of Land Forces. Maybe listeners would like to know a bit more about what's happening in in West Papua. Could you speak a bit to that and then we'll we'll come back to the weapons companies? 
Your listeners probably already know that West Papua was invaded by the Indonesian military in the 60s and that the UN held a bogus kind of act of free choice, which was overseen by the Indonesian military. So there was a kind of pretend um, vote that, oh, yes, we'll accept Indonesia as our ruler. Um, And Papuans have been uh, struggling against that regime ever since. Um, Indonesia is now allegedly a democracy, but the military still have an immense amount of power, what they call the organic forces in West Papua, which is the regular army. There are all these so-called inorganic forces, which is special troops. So that's your Kapusas special forces and all these kind of you know, hit squad teams, special combat troops, um, paratroopers, Navy SEALs, uh, riot police, and their job is to go and hunt down the separatists. But, I mean, at last count, virtually any person in West Papua could be called a separatist. Nearly two million people signed the petition saying, we don't want to be part of Indonesia, so potentially anybody could be considered a separatist. One of the disturbing images I've seen is of a mother who was breastfeeding her baby and a soldier burst into the into her hut while she was feeding and shot the baby through the head. So Sorry to your listeners to uh, spring that on them, but um, she was injured in the, in the breast. So um, there she was holding a baby and the soldiers thought she's an armed combatant who's holding a weapon. Of course, the baby didn't survive. So these are the sorts of crimes that are happening in West Papua now and they're happening with weapons that are sold by companies that are based here. So this is where um, we can take our power. So when you hear a story like that, while it's devastating, we want people to use that, that emotion, use that feeling to take your power. You can make a difference to these things and we can stop those crimes by stopping the export of weapons and stopping this profit that these companies are making from crimes like that. And that might lead into the next question. In the Disrupt campaign, there's considered effort to make a link between uh, weapons companies, uh, war resource extraction and land dispossession and the patriarchy. Could you explain those links? I'll put it like this. So militarism, extractivism, dispossession, colonisation, patriarchy, racism and hate crimes and an ecocide, they're all connected. They're all connected. But so are we. So whether you're looking at it from a First Nations sovereignty point of view, or whether you're looking at it from a climate breakdown and a biodiversity point of view, or whether you're looking at it from a kind of human rights and social justice or a poverty alleviation point of view. If you look at um, Tales supplying armoured vehicles, amphibious armoured vehicles and Rheinmetall supplying tanks to the armies of Ecuador who then use them to go in and dispossess First Nations people so that they can drill for oil. You've got all of those issues in there at once. And we can exercise our power by pulling those weapons companies up. But those those deals are done here. Those deals are done in Australia, in Germany, in the United States. And the people who are impacted by those deals are those Indigenous people in the Amazon who are trying to protect that country. So you can see how all of those... 
all of those issues come together here. And this is the kind of pointy end of colonisation, is this militarist violence. And in Australia, we're very aware of that with the, with the frontier wars that since they first landed here, the British have been and their descendants have been perpetrating. And we still see that the, the, those frontier wars are not over. We still see the, the tail end of those frontier wars in the dispossessions that still happen on this country and in the violence, the police brutality that still happens in this country against Indigenous peoples and, well, black people generally, but Indigenous peoples particularly. Why is it a patriarchal issue? I guess rape and pillage was the kind of, you know, the throwaway line that you'd say about the army. Our politicians recently uh, were sprung, referring to themselves as the big swinging dicks. So patriarchy sees the phallus as its primary weapon and rape as its primary crime. Um, well, it doesn't see rape as a crime, really. It sees rape as an entitlement. And we we now know that there have been 41 cases of sexual assault that have been brought to the attention of the police in our parliament building. So the centrality of patriarchy and of rape to militarism, I think you can't, you can't deny. And that I'll, I'll just switch back to the Festival of Resistance. Our last day is Smash the Patriarchy Day, Taste the Rainbow, um, and it's the day for everyone to come in and help us smash the patriarchy. Uh, so all queer people, femmes, trans, intersex, uh, gay, lesbian, freaks, artists, misfits, anyone who doesn't, and all of us, everyone who loves us, everyone who doesn't subscribe to the idea of masculinity as violence, and I think that's all all of all of us here, all of us listening here. Uh, we invite you to come down and show the war machine how we play, and um, and the kind of spirit, the kind of culture that we bring to the planet. It's beautifully put. If people want to find out more about the Disrupt campaign um, or the West Pap- Make West Papua Safe campaign, how can they do so? Um, on Saturday 29th and Sunday 30th of May, we're at Jagger Hall in Mianjin. So come on down, come and meet us and uh, participate. We've got heaps of fun workshops on and trainings and stuff all weekend. We're also going to be running actions over the weekend and on Monday, Monday the 31st. Uh, we're doing a grand tour of weapons companies in Mianjin. So you can jump on the bus at 10am on the Monday at Jagra Hall and go and visit some weapons factories. And then Tuesday morning, Tuesday the 1st of June, we think that's when Peter Dutton is going to turn up and do the official opening of the conference. So if you despise Dutton as much as we do, Get yourself down there. It's an early start, 7am at the Brisbane Convention Centre. In the afternoon, there's a rally for Latin America, 5pm, and we'll be aiming to disrupt the arms dealers as they leave the building. Wednesday the 2nd is Climate Action Day, so all-day climate actions, and we've got lots of little performance things lined up, Climate Angels, Red Rebels, um, yeah, some fun things on there, and a Dinner of Death parade that evening while they have their conference dinner. And Thursday, the 3rd of June, is Smash Patriarchy, Taste the Rainbow. Come down to the Carnival of Chaos. If you're online, go to disruptlandforces.org on the web or disruptlandforces on Instagram or Facebook. 
and you'll you'll find updates there. And you'll find links as well to the Make West Papua Safe campaign. So that's also got a website, makewestpapuasafe.org and um, Instagram and, and Facebook under Make West Papua Safe. So we'll be cross-posting to both of those channels. I didn't mention earlier, so I will mention that we, although we've called it Disrupt, we welcome all forms of protest. So our only rules are don't harm any living creatures and be respectful with each other. We want everyone to feel welcome and there will be a safe place for everyone and your action will be supported and respected. So nothing is too small, nothing is too big. Um, We're opening up the space for protest. It's up to all of you to fill it. Great. Thank you so much, Zelda. Thank you so much for joining us on Women on the Line. You're welcome. See you at Disrupt Land Forces. You were just listening to human and earth rights defender Zelda Grimshaw, who works with Make West Papua Safe and is a co-organiser of the Disrupt Land Forces campaign. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you have been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We will now hear from Janine Hurani, who is a Palestinian activist, campaigner and storyteller. She is currently the director of Road to Refuge, an organisation that aims to change the narrative around refugees and people seeking asylum by transferring the power of narrative back to those directly impacted. Hi, Janine, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So firstly, can you give us an overview of the work you do with BDS, well, with the BDS movement and what the movement is calling for? Yeah, so um, BDS is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice and equality. So as a movement, it aims to pressure the state of Israel to adhere to its human rights and international law obligations using the tools of boycott, divestment and sanction, hence BDS. So the boycott kind of component of it um, involves withdrawing individual support from Israel's apartheid regime. So this often looks like... um, withdrawing individual support from Israeli companies or companies engaged in violations of Palestinian human rights. So you might have heard of SodaStream and Puma being kind of recent um, targets for the boycott component of it. Um, the divestment, the D, um, it urges banks, local councils, super funds, universities to withdraw their investments from the state of Israel and all Israeli companies and companies that sustain Israeli apartheid. And then the S, sanctions, um, sanctions campaigns pressure governments to sanction Israel until the government fulfills its legal obligations. And what this looks like is usually ending military trade or ending free trade agreements um, or suspending Israel's membership in international forums like the UN. The strategies employed by BDS are inspired by the South African anti-apartheid movement um, and there are three key demands of BDS um, and those demands are um, pressuring Israel to first um, end its occupation and colonisation of Palestine and all Arab lands and dismantling the apartheid wall. Second, um, recognising the fundamental rights of Palestinian citizens of Israel to full equality. And third, respecting, protecting and promoting the rights of Palestinian refugees to return to their homes and properties, which is actually stipulated in UN Resolution 194. Oh, I was going to ask uh, how you see VDS as part of a larger movement to end apartheid in Palestine, but you kind of... Yeah, I mean, I can still that. talk to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. I mean, I think that um, even though that's kind of BDS in a nutshell, I think 
BDS is not only part, to your question, like BDS is not only part of a larger movement and apartheid in Palestine, but it's also part of a bigger movement for equality and justice around the world. I mean, boycotts have been proven to be effective throughout history. Um, BDS really draws on other grassroots movements such as the Irish Land League, the Indian Salt March, the Montgomery Bus Boycott, um, and as I mentioned, the international boycott um, to end South African apartheid. And as a movement, BDS really kind of continues to draw upon and learn from these different social justice struggles. Um, And because BDS draws upon and continues to learn from and build solidarity with these other struggles around the world, it really does look at things from a systems change perspective. Um, The kind of idea that solidarity between different movements stems from this understanding that it's the same underlying systems and structures that are the root cause of all our oppression. And so BDS aims to dismantle those systems. So if we're to take, for example, like the um, military industrial complex, which is a system, um, that is the system upon which Israel is built, upon many other systems. Um, And and the institutional violence and the militarization is kind of how Israel maintains its current regime. And if you look at Black Lives Matter in the US, a lot of US police are trained by the Israeli military and you're seeing we're seeing a militarization of the police force. If you look at Aboriginal deaths in custody here, kind of it's the same system that imprisons Indigenous kids here that also imprisons and incarcerates Palestinian kids. Um, and it's the same companies, same governments that are investing in weapons, um, manufacturing these weapons and continuing to oil the kind of global neo-imperial war machine. And so um, it's no surprise that a lot of our BDS targets like HP, G4S, Elbit Systems, um, they're kind of some of the most recent ones. While they are complicit in Israeli defense and security, they're also complicit in other human rights abuses all over the world. And so this systems change approach that BDS really adopts um, and the commitment to dismantling these systems really is another strength of the BDS movement, not only in Palestine, but kind of around the whole world. Beautifully answered. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you just touched upon the military industrial complex um, and we know that Israel is built on this. Um, It's also not ratified the arms treaty. Um, It doesn't report regularly to the UN registry on conventional arms and is among the 10 largest arms exporters worldwide. And Australia is the 16th largest importer or customer of, of Israeli military and security products. These military and security products that Israel produces um, are promoted as battle-tested. Yeah. Um, and that is on the violent occupation and dispossession of Palestinian lands and people. Um, so I was just wondering if you could talk to this a bit more and... Um, specifically around Australia's complicity within this? Yeah, the Australian government has a very long history of enabling and supporting Israel in its violent settler colonial endeavours. And I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone because that's the foundation upon which this settler colony was built in so-called Australia. Um, And it kind of goes as far back as actually as 1917 – which is the year the Balfour Declaration was signed. But in that same year, in 1917, um, British colonists in Palestine um, wanted to change the so-called barren landscape of Palestine, which obviously isn't barren to us, but for European eyes potentially might be look a little bit barren. Um, And so they brought white Australians from the so-called Commonwealth 
um, to Palestine and they planted eucalyptus trees on our land. And eucalyptus trees are not native to Palestine. And what that did was that demarcated where Palestinian villages are located. And so decades later, when the Israeli Defense Force um, wanted to conduct airstrikes on Palestinians, they didn't need to know where the Palestinian villages were. They just looked for the eucalyptus trees, which they could see from the sky. And that's how they knew where that's how they knew where Palestinian villages were. And so, you know, and that was all enabled by the Australian settler colony and the, and the so-called Commonwealth and Australians going and planting eucalyptus trees. And so it really is a very, very long history of enabling the genocide and the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian people. And yeah, it's really is part of the legacy of this country. Um, and of course, now, like the Australian government continues to fund Israel's military. Um, in the past, it's had billion dollar contracts with Elbit Systems. So um, Elbit is an Israeli security company um, that, as you mentioned, field tests its weapons on Palestinians. Um, and yeah, the Australian government has had billion dollar contracts with them in the past. And um and actually, to speak to the point around um, transnational solidarity as well, Elbit is also complicit in West Papua, Myanmar, the Philippines, Colombia, and of course, Palestine. And I guess the most recent development with regards to Elbit is um, the Victorian state government currently has a $6 million contract with them to establish a research centre right here in Nam or Melbourne, um, actually in Port Melbourne. Um, and so the complicity in Israeli war crimes really is ongoing, not just from our federal government, but also from the Victorian state government. Yeah, and often when um, these things are talked about, they're, they're talked about as, um, especially when it comes to the occupation in Palestine is talked about as a foreign as a foreign issue mm. rather than it being interconnected and intertwined with what happens here. Yeah. And also just before we heard from Zelda who works with the uh, Make West Papua Safe campaign um, and part of that campaign is highlighting the complicity of states and large corporations in the destruction and colonisation of West Papua. And, you know, further to what you were just talking about, but could you explain how you see these as intertwined? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think at its core, the Palestinian struggle is not unique. Um, what Israel maintains is a regime of settler colonialism, apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. And none of these concepts are new. They've all existed or currently exist. Um, you know, they've all existed at some point throughout history or still kind of the legacy lives on. Um, this country's so-called Australia is built on settler colonialism. We're all familiar with apartheid South Africa, what's happening in West Papua, what's happening in Kashmir, that's occupation, what's happening in East Turkestan is ethnic cleansing. We can really rattle off like, you know, all of these social justice issues and all of these forms of oppression happening all over the world and think about how they are all connected to each other. And I think the sooner that we realise and acknowledge the interconnectedness of our struggles – the sooner we can really not only build but strengthen those lines of solidarity um, and, like I kind of mentioned earlier, from a systems change perspective, start thinking about how we can dismantle these systems and structures um, that underpin all of our struggles. And this is already happening. Like there's already these transnational lines of solidarity being built. There's um, a long history of um, – solidarity between the Black Lives Matter um, movement and Palestinian liberation, you know, from Ferguson to Palestine. That's been ongoing for a really long time. And um, Angela Davis has spearheaded that for years and years. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier as well about how a lot of the police force in the US are trained by the Israeli military. And as soon as you start realising those kind of common struggles, you can start to unpack um, and challenge those systems and structures. There's a growing movement around black Palestinian solidarity here. Um, so between Indigenous people um, 
here in so-called Australia and um, Palestinian people, um, which was really spearheaded by Uncle Gary Foley. And, you know, a couple of years ago we had a Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference and a lot of these um, lines of solidarity have been growing and I've actually been so amazed um, and grateful for the immense solidarity that we've seen from First Nations people over the past three weeks of things as things have unfolded in Palestine. So we had an Elbert action um, on the 25th of May um, and as part of that it was um, organised by the um, Free West Papua group but um, there was groups from Philippines, from West Papua, from Palestine. We had speakers from all of those places and it really went to show kind of how Elbert Systems and other companies that are complicit in Palestine are also complicit in other places. And so we are really seeing these lines of solidarity being built and strengthened and I think um, – for me personally, that's the strongest thing that's come out of the last three weeks. And I really hope um, if we maintain – I mean, hopefully we'll maintain the momentum in all of the ways, but if we were to maintain it in in um, one of the ways, it would be um, ensuring that those transnational lines of solidarity continue to be strengthened. The court ruling on Sheikh Jarrah is on Monday the 31st of May. So what are the next steps for the movement? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the evictions were – postponed until the 30th of May and that really was um, as a result of kind of the local and international outcry and um, it it is encouraging to see that our voices um, are being heard and the pressure we're putting on is working. Um, But I guess regardless of the outcome of that court hearing, um, this didn't start with Sheikh Sharrah. This has been ongoing for 73 years. What happened to my granddad's village um, in 1948 is not unlike what happened to Sheikh Sharrah. And so this is um, a long, it has been a long struggle and it certainly won't end with Sheikh Sharrah either. You know, there's, um, the struggle is going to continue to be ongoing. And so it's really important that we maintain the momentum and maintain the rage and continue to show up for Palestine and Palestinians. Um, most immediately, um, BDS Australia, our current campaign against Elbert Systems, our kind of objective of that campaign is um, to get the Victorian government to cancel their contract with Elbert Systems. Um and we kind of realised that um, in order for a research centre to get up, um, Elbert is going to need to um, is going to need to partner with a local university in Victoria. And so, um, because of that, we're mobilising and organising university students to try and get them to reject Elbert Systems and get their universities to reject partnerships with Elbert Systems. Um, and so as part of that, on the 9th of June at 5pm, um, location to be confirmed. But if you follow BDS Australia on socials, you'll get um, all the updates. Um, we're going to hold a meeting with university students to kind of strategize about the best ways to organize on campus. And hopefully that'll become a springboard for kind of more BDS actions on campus and really hoping to to keep that going. Um and then we're also running, um, not BDS Australia, we're, um, separately, we're also running um, Black Palestinian Poetry Night. So um, on the 26th of June um, in uh, Melbourne at 4pm at Drill Hall and July 3rd in Gadigal, Sydney um, at Bankstown Community Arts. Um, and there'll be amazing Black, um, Indigenous and Palestinian poets um, at those events. And it'll just be a really great way to kind of, um, yeah, continue building those lines of solidarity and the commonality of our struggles and um, the commitment to anti-colonial struggles um, from so-called Australia to so-called Israel. And that was Janine Hurani, who is a Palestinian activist, campaigner, and storyteller. 
So we'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program. Please send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Nam, Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can also be downloaded from the 3CR website. That's www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line.